Hey, Salt Lake, at the risk of being too personal, is your mattress sagging? If you are rolling into a taco every night, I am begging you to visit your local mattress warehouse and just try something a little firmer. Your spine is the center of your being, and I don't just want you to have good posture. I want you to Disney princess your way around this city, flush with optimism from a good night's sleep. Visit mattresswarehouseutah.com to find the location nearest you. That's mattresswarehouseutah.com. Today on CityCast Salt Lake, we are hunkering down this week waiting for the new year. But it's not out with the old in with the new quite yet. So each member of our team is sharing their favorite episodes from the year. And it turned out what they all have in common is people who would make great party guests. Newsletter editor Therina Ria is here with her favorite pick. Therina, your favorite show was From SLC Punk to 127 Hours. This prop master has seen it all. Why do you love this guest and this conversation? I love Scott Arneman so much. He's a prop master. He's been in the biz for 30 years, so he has some really juicy stories. Um, He is just an engaging storyteller. But I think I listened to it recently, and I think what it is, is is he has like a certain accent like Utah accent that is so like Midwestern and it sounds like every neighbor every sweetie neighbor that I grew up with who like would shovel your sidewalk for all the neighbors around him and would like tell you funny stories whenever you saw him in the neighborhood or or you know in the grocery store (laughs) so I think that's what I love about Scott his passion is just like palpable like he loves what he does and I love talking with people who love what they do and and are passionate about what they do I couldn't agree more this was like such a hard episode to edit too because like there is a lot that was left on the cutting room floor, as they say in the biz, because Scott is just like teeming with amazing stories Mm -hmm. about movie making in this city. Therina, why do you think this episode is so like re-listenable? Like, why is it enduring? I think um, it's one that I always want to come back to because it never gets old listening to these stories of how these big movies are made. Um, We have so many movies made in our backyard. And so it's just really cool to talk to the people who are behind the scenes making them. Yeah, especially as I feel like a lot of folks probably just watched a ton of Christmas movies that were filmed in Salt Lake. So here's a little peek behind the curtain at how it all comes together by someone who has worked on a lot of those sets. Exactly. All right, let's waste no time getting into this delightful conversation. Today is Wednesday, December 28th, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Scott, we're sitting out on your porch. It's so lovely. It's a beautiful day in Salt Lake City. Thanks for being here in your house. (laughs) Thanks for having me. You're right. It is a lovely day. We had those rainstorms and it cooled things off. It's nice out. I know. Well, I'm excited to talk to you about props. But my first question for you is, whenever I talk to anyone in the filmmaking industry, I have to ask, were you a theater kid? Wow. I I was in drama class in (laughs) high school, but I didn't really pursue it. But how did you get into prop work? You know, I think it was my destiny because I'm perfectly suited for this job. It 
came to me very accidentally. I was working out at the airport with a friend. Her boyfriend was in the film business. She got in the film business, and a movie came to town called The Sandlot, a kid's baseball movie. Heard of it. And I heard she was working on it, and it sounded so interesting. And I can't remember, I think I begged to be invited to the set. And I was, we we're kind of waiting around for things to get going. And she said, do you want some breakfast or something? Are you hungry? And I went, yeah, I kind of am. And I saw the catering truck there and they had this table full of donuts and fruit cups and stuff like mm. that. And I said, oh, but Lisa, I didn't bring any money. <laughs> and she laughed. She says, Scotty, it's free. <laughs> and that was it. I was in. I love that. Okay, you said you're perfectly suited to be a prop master. What does that mean? What is It's the jack of all trades, master of none. You mm. know, I'm I'm clever and I'm creative, but I'm not artistic. I'm organized, but I'm not too organized. Right. I know a little about a lot and a lot about a little. Mm. And things spark my interest. I get bored doing the same thing over and over again. So I've been in the business some like 30 years now, but I never feel like it's the same grind. You know, one one time I'll be doing a river movie and I'll have to learn about what river runners do and what their life is like and what kind of props they're going to have to have. I'm able to find out and learn about all of that sort of stuff. And it holds my interest. It's so curious because I have a feeling that as a prop master, you're a bit of a historian. Like you said that you're you're researching different things because like, you know, if you're filming a movie that's like in the 80s and you have a toaster and it's doing things that toasters didn't do in the 80s, that yeah. could really throw things off. I mean, yeah. th especially in the age of Twitter, people will very quickly be like, that's the wrong toaster. Right. Those people are called nitpickers and there's <laughs> a website for them, people who pick out continuity errors and things like that. And that is a big part of my job. Yeah. I'm curious, like on a set, What's a prop and what isn't? Like, is the couch a prop or just the lamp? In a very general sense, props are anything an actor handles or touches. Okay. So if they're moving the piano, it's a prop. Mm. If they're just playing the piano, the set decorator usually handles it. For example, if we were shooting a scene about three people doing a radio interview around a table, mm -hmm. I would be responsible to provide the microphones, the little recording unit, the headphones that the producer wears. I'd have to know the characters. Are they married? Would they be wearing wedding bands? Are they wearing eyeglasses? Mm. The guy being interviewed, he has a cell phone, a notebook, a pen. These things might be in the script or I might just know about them. We might shoot this scene, and a month later, we might shoot the scene where the two reporters show up to the front door. So I've got to make sure they have their recording equipment with them and all hmm. that so that they don't show up empty-handed, and then suddenly they've got all this stuff. So I have okay. to kind of concentrate on the continuity. In addition to things that the actors you know, literally touch or handle, I do things like license plates on cars, uh, for some reason, the prop man is required to carry around the director's chairs. Hmm. What makes a good prop? Like, are there particular props that you've found or dug up or like built or put together or assembled that you've just been really proud of? Yeah. Not like super proud of where I can say, oh, yeah, this is my crowning achievement right. in, in the prop world. But challenge has been put forth to me that I've conquered, and that's that's very rewarding. So on SLC Punk, it was a very low budget very. film. Uh, the, the director was pretty, you know, film student green, and I was very pretty green as a prop master, and he wanted all this stuff. 
And in the script, it talked about a river of blood. He was, you know, high on drugs and he was seeing the world crazy. And then all of a sudden, a river of blood came down the hill. And I was like, river of blood? How, how, what you, how do you want me to make a river of blood? I got to put it to James Marandino, the director, because he didn't let things like that hold him back. He said, well, can you just get like a, like a 50 gallon barrel of, you know, water with red food coloring and dump it down the hill? And I thought, well, this is going to look cheesy. (laughs) And we were filming up on the side of the hill in Memory Grove. We walked up the hill with a pail of water. We made, you know, 50 trips till we filled this thing. And I I did an experiment with red food coloring to figure out the ratio of how much red food coloring in water and, you know, scaled it up to 50 gallons. So I poured in two gallons, you know, industrial strength gallons of red food coloring. And when, when it came time, we dumped that 50 gallon barrel of water over and and this rush of red, thick water came down the trail, and uh, Matthew Lillard stuck his hand in it and turned all red, and he was all, you know, bugged out. Yeah. And it looked great, and that was my mantra, river of blood. <laughs> and sometimes they'll come up to me, you know, I'm, my prop will fail, or it won't look as good as, and they'll say, well, it was no river of blood. <laughs> I'm going to use that. Yes. That's pretty good. Salt Lake City, what if this is the year you host Easter dinner or brunch? Harmon's makes big meals easy to prepare with delicious holiday specialties made from scratch. Just heat and serve, baby. Lay a pre-cooked honey ham on the table and absorb the compliments from your family or friends. They don't need to know you napped instead of staring down the oven. And if you're not the host but need something to bring, here are just a few of my favorite spring ideas. First of all, Harmon's fragrant Easter lilies will impress anybody's mom or delight a neighbor. Now there's no need to even heat up a pre-made side like deviled eggs or fresh cut pineapple, but bonus points if you transfer them into your own dish. And as listeners of this show well know, I will lose my mind if you show up to my house with Harmon's hot cross buns. I invite you to make some new Easter traditions with Harmon's. Any other great prop stories? Uh, yeah, on that same movie, SLC Punk, there's a scene where the kid, um, he's got acid in his pocket. He's being uh, chased by the school cop. Yeah. And he runs and some sprinklers get his pant legs wet and the acid goes into his skin and then into his muscles. And then, you know, he get, goes, gets super high. Yeah. And I, I said, how are we going to do that? And Marandino had this kind of thought out. He said, well, can you get me like a giant oversized pair of pants so the costumer came up and sewed this giant you know (laughs) pocket and i researched what tab acid looked like and i had some oversized tabs of acid printed and he actually put the camera like inside the pocket of these giant pants and filmed this tabs of acid and then then you can see if you watch the film it's like blue liquid going on his legs and we just drop some blue liquid on somebody's leg as they were running and then it like goes into the skin i said how are we going to do this because we didn't have the money to call la and get this prosthetic muscly leg right and he said can you just get a cow leg (laughs) and i said i don't know maybe 
So I went, we had a slaughterhouse in Salt Lake. Okay. And I went to him and I talked to him and I asked him about that. And the guy at the slaughterhouse was looking at me like, you're nuts. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, yeah, I'll help you out. Why don't you come back next Wednesday? So I came back next Wednesday and he said, oh, yeah, I remember you. And he left, I thought, presumably to go get the cow leg. And he was gone for quite a while and he brought it back out to me. He said, here you go. It was in a cardboard box in plastic and he handed it to me and it was hot. (gasps) So when he went and got the cow leg, he got it right from the source. He got it right from the cow. And then I had to bring that home and figure out how to keep that looking fresh. Yeah, get that on ice. Oh, yeah, I put it in the fridge. I had this cow leg. It was, you know, refrigerated. It looked great. I took uh, baking soda and I rubbed it into the the little crevices and things like that because all the muscles and everything were right there. Uh, I took blue food coloring and put it in some vinegar and yeah. we dropped it onto the cow leg. And when it hit that baking soda, it started sizzling and bubbling. Yeah. And it looked great. Oh, my gosh. It's interesting to hear you talk about some of your favorite things that you've worked on there scrappy yes. like you're a historian you're a scientist yeah. you're a physicist you're like an assistant butcher having less resources seems kind of like more fun it's funny you would pick up on that i cut my teeth on doing low budget things and i think that's really where i excelled because i'm a very frugal person so i you know that creative challenge of how can i get this with you know no no money like that cow leg thing yeah if now I look back and I, if I would have had to try and do that gag, I would have just called the people in L.A. and they would have put yeah. this thing together and it would have been 10 right. grand or whatever. Right. And, you know, we did it for one hundred and fifty dollars. Right. Or less. Well, and you're also when you're working with a really green director, it's like you can really make their day. Whereas like if someone's got this huge budget, it's like, oh, yeah, thanks. Scott looks great. Whereas like, oh, my God, you did it. (laughs) Well, and to illustrate your point, I worked on 127 hours and Mm. Danny Boyle, big director, had done train spotting and things like that. James Franco was in there. Mm -hmm. And Danny, I guess, even though he'd worked on big budget films, I think he liked sort of the smaller things. So he was happy to bring it to Utah. But yeah, he had some real expectations and... He actually yelled at me and blamed a reshoot on me. And I was under so much pressure on that. Yeah. I wanted to. It was awful. It doesn't sound fun. It was it was it was months of hell. But yeah, it was a, you know, big movie with lots of money and lots of resources. They didn't let me know that they had lots of resources. And I still Mm -hmm. approached it like some of my smaller projects. And yeah, it was tough. Yeah. I mean, so you worked on SLC Punk. I think in many ways, this is a movie that gave Salt Lake its name nationally. Like, it feels like our movie. It's funny. It is a cult film. It is a cult film. How has movie making in Salt Lake changed since then? You know, back then, people came here because it was a right-to-work state. You didn't have to deal with the unions, Hmm. and you could make cheap low budget movies and nobody got in your face Hmm. there was uh this particular producer i don't think was on this project but there was a snowboarding movie that they came in town with the disney channel and things were rough i don't know things weren't going well but the crew was working really long hours Hmm. and um 
It ended up the union started getting involved yeah. and they tried to organize here and they'd tried that a couple of times before without success. But this time they were able to have some success and in as much that the Teamsters came to Disney corporate and said, look, you can't just go out of state to avoid these union issues. Yeah. If you're going to go out of state, um, the unions were pressuring Disney to at least pay their workers the union rates, mm -hmm. give them union benefits, and treat them fairly. Mm -hmm. And Disney agreed. And so now, even though this is a right-to-work state and it's not union, a lot of the films that come here adhere to those union guidelines. I think that's helped bring up a, a certain level of filmmaking here. Even though I'm not a real pro-union guy, mm. they are instrumental in making sure that the workers don't get abused because, you know, movies can be expensive to make. Mm -hmm. They can also be not expensive to make. And sometimes you'll get somebody who's got a really great story but can't scrape together the money. Although I admire their passion of trying to get their project done on the little money they have, sometimes they'll do so at the, um, at the expense of crews, you know, working them 16 hours and yeah. things like that. And so you don't see that sort of thing happening as much now. Yeah. So that's one way I think filmmaking has changed from when I got into it. Yeah. Well, it's funny. When I texted you to ask if you would come on the show, I said, you're SLC's prop king. And you laughed. But I think it's true. It holds. <laughs> well, I'm I'm standing firm on that. I Oh, thank you very much. Maybe SLC prop Duke. Okay. All right. <laughs> Scott, thank you so much. Well, it's been fun. It's um, been really fun. Yeah, stick around and I'll give you a couple hours more stories. Okay. <laughs> oh, by the campfire. Yeah. <laughs> Can we check out your prop truck? Yeah, let's go take a look. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. Bye. This, this kit actually started, this tote started on SLC Punk. Party stuff. Party stuff. Yep, there's a bong. There's a bong. Here's a beer bong, which we used in, this was the beer bong we used in SLC oh my Punk. God. The beer bong. <laughs> That's so cool, can I hold it? Of course. <laughs> the SLC Punk beer bong, friends. Oh.